Blog Talk Radio. family. We're coming to you live from the EAL Radio Show studio in St. Augustine, Jacksonville, Florida. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. Should be a lot of fun to do it. And to all the listeners around the world, we say welcome. Hi, Eastern family and friends great having you with us. My name is Chuck Albright. I'm coming to you live from the beautiful villages in central Florida area where the weather right now is around 85 degrees. We expect a little rain, so those guys on the golf course are not going to be very happy about that. Welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show. You've truly made us radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we became Eastern Airlines International Radio Show with over 50 countries listening in. We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with the radio listeners from around the world during the broadcast. If you haven't called a show before, all you need to do is call 213-816-1611 and just say hello, and you'll be talking live on the air. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in on our blog talk application. Isn't it great that we can keep this Eastern legacy of going out to not only the Eastern family, but to listeners from many different countries around the world? That's what we try to do every week on the EAL radio show. Won't you join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts? Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computers using their radio icons on their homepage at www.ealradioshow.com. Dot com, or perhaps by signing in in the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Emmy. Remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free. Use our call-in number, 213-816-1611, at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat the number so you can write it down for your Monday night visit. 213-816-1611. By the way, tell all your friends about us. And don't forget, you can listen to any of our 417 Monday night broadcasts and 75-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. That's Captain Eddie. C-A-P-T-E-D-D-I-E, and scrolling down through the archives of the broadcast. Each episode is briefly described, and we're getting close to 500 episodes. Holy blue Sunoco, says our man who's now on the mend. We hope to see you back, Jim, soon. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, you ask, to please mute your phones as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out background noises. I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain, let's get flight 417 in the air. Eastern 417, you're clear to the Houston Hobby Airport, and you're clear for takeoff. Roger, we're on the roll. Hey, Atlanta, how did you know we were talking about hobbies tonight? Oh, it's a hobby of mine, trying to associate 
the flight with an airport. <laughs> it works, too. Okay, if you say so, here we go. subject of hobbies, we ran across this writer telling about his experiences and those of others in such a way that it can lead us into a discussion about our own hobbies. A hobby can be both pleasurable and profitable. It just depends on the hobbyist. I believe we'll hear both categories of hobbies tonight. Maybe a host or a listener might find a hobby tonight. That might be of interest, enough interest, uh, that that they might consider trying it themselves. I already know that the origins of the word hobbies suggest that initially it was the word given to pursuits that others thought somewhat childish or trivial, and I know that you're about to learn the same. However, as early as 1676, Sir Matthew Hale, in Contemplations Moral and Divine, wrote, quote, almost every person hath some hobby horse or other wherein he prides himself, unquote. The hobbyist was acknowledging that a hobby horse produces a legitimate sense of pride. And by the mid-18th century, there was a flourishing of hobbies as working people had more regular hours of work and greater leisure time. The hobbyist had spent more time pursuing his interests than it had brought them satisfaction. However, there was concern that these working people might not use their leisure time in worthwhile pursuits. The hope of weaning people away from bad habits by the provision of counter-attractions came to the fore in the 1830s and has rarely waned since. Initially, through the bad habits, they were perceived to be of a sensual and physical nature. And the counter-attractions, or perhaps more accurately, alternatives, deliberately cultivated rationality and the intellect. The writer goes on to say, later in my childhood, I, like most of my friends, began collecting baseball cards. Back then, what we were really after was the bubblegum, though. The cards were simply added amusement. We might, quote, save the cards featuring our hometown heroes, but the rest we used in gaming. There were a number of variations for flipping cards, but they were all built around gambling. You either won a bunch of cards from your friends or you lost a bunch of cards. Most of us grew out of the gambling aspect of baseball cards and forgot about that shoebox under the bed. That shoebox is the one our mother threw out while we were away at college or in the military. In later years, some enterprising souls decided that these cards from the past were worth a lot of money, and we all blamed our mothers for forcing us to live in poverty, therefore. The truth is that our card collections were so beat up from being flipped against concrete walls that they held very little value for the big-time collection. So now, how does card collecting relate to the children of ancient times? 
Did they collect stone tablets? If it did, it's doubtful they flipped them. They probably pretty heavy. More than once. Perhaps they collected ancient scrolls. If they did and looked upon their treasures as the same as we, they most likely used the scrolls to make kites or sails for toy boats. Chuck. Jim, um, he goes on to say that my next hobby is one I shared with my older brother. We collected 45 RPM records and played them on one of the original portable hi-fi record players. Since our machines had an attachment for 45 RPM records, we didn't need the insert that many people had to stick in the large hole to produce a smaller hole. A lot of younger readers will have no idea what we're talking about. We'll just let them keep guessing. I can't imagine a, a similar hobby for teenagers in bygone centuries. Perhaps they collected monks who sang Gregorian chants, and they kidnapped said monks, and they may have required small round hair pieces to hide the torture of their captives, but it would make the hobby somewhat similar. Another hobby of my youth, although not practiced by me, was collecting cigar vans. In the days of the good five-cent cigar, there was a wide variety of manufacturers. Come to think of it, Cuban cigars were really available, and they were legal. I'm not sure anything in the days of yore was produced by a large corporation that put a label on it of all its products. Don? Quote, it wasn't until after I graduated from college and I got down to the business of raising a family and making a living that I indulged in my other collections. If the truth be told, the first item in my next collection was to obtain was obtained in college, but it stood alone until I started receiving a regular paycheck. The item in question was my fraternity beer mug, the one with my name etched in the metal. For the next 15 or 20 years, my collection grew. I have hand-carved wooden mugs from Hawaii, metal mugs from different parts of the world, and numerous glass mugs with slogans such as, Draft Beer, Not Men. I finally ran out of places to put new additions, so I had to put that hobby on hold. I can easily visualize ancient Vikings having a collection of horns used for drinking their favorite varieties of mead and beer. I can also visualize their leaders having red capes to hide the blood of battle and brown kilts to hide the evidence of possible defeat. Uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah, right. A bad landing would do that to you. At this point, we con- uh, con- <laughs> to this point, we con- concentrated on our hobbies centered on collections. In truth, there are many hobbies that have nothing to do with collecting. I'm currently involved in two of my favorites. One is singing, and the other is playing softball. I've sung with various groups since I've been a mere child. I began as a boy soprano in the Crafton Heights Presbyterian Church Choir. Later, I sang baritone in the Ingram United Presbyterian Choir. At at Edinburgh State College, I was a baritone in the college uh, collegiate singers. I also sang a short time with a trio known as the Horny Toads, <laughs> Jim Holder's favorite group. Yeah. Singers in Pittsburgh. Don, the article goes on to say, though, that the author moved to Georgia and sung with the St. Thomas Aquinas Transal Choir and Folk Group. He says, I also performed in a number of musicals at the same church. After my move to Cumming, I've been a member of the Christ the King Lutheran Church Transal Choir as well as their contemporary choir. Currently, I've limited my efforts to the Nostalgia Band that performs at various senior citizen venues. 
I returned to softball after a 30-year hiatus. My speed is more deceptively slower than ever, and I don't recall I don't react to balls hit or thrown my way as well as I did in my younger days, but I still love playing golf. During my lifetime, I've had a number of hobbies. As a very young boy, I began collecting the metal caps from soda and beer bottles. Back in the late 40s and early 50s, there was a cork insert to help seal the beverage in the bottle. Sometimes, out of boredom, I'd take a shot object and try to scrape the cork out. Looking back, I now realize I destroyed the intrinsic value, if any, of some of my best specimens. Comparing those hobbies to the people who lived so long ago is a bit easier than the hobbies involving collections. I can easily picture people singing or humming as they perform their daily routines. Music makes everything easier to endure. Perhaps we could use the writer of this article as a starting point to consider hobbies that others have enjoyed over the centuries. Neil? Dorothy, now that uh, we've heard from one hobbyist, let's see if we can find others willing to share their hobby or hobbies with us tonight. And uh, already I've heard some interesting ones before we went on air, so... This ought to be a lot of fun tonight. Looking back over my lifespan, long as it is, these stand out as giving me pleasure, and some even made me some extra income. Now, my wife knows that I'm telling the truth. She's sitting right here beside me, so I want to start off with one, and I might just uh, add another one, but uh, we'll see what kind of time we have. Uh, My brother and I, years ago, uh, when Jimmy Carter was running for president, uh, we thought it was a joke being the governor, ex-governor of Georgia uh, and a peanut farmer. We thought uh, uh, this was true, really a joke, that he'd never get any further than, than um, you know, being the governor of Georgia. But we were wrong. But uh, when it looked like he was about uh, to be the nominee for the Demo- Dem- Democrat Party, uh, we decided, my brother and I, Sitting, and I'm going to tell my wife, sitting at a bar, which she knows I used to drink a little bit, uh, but I don't anymore, <laughs> honey. So, okay, I'm going to tell it the way it is. So, anyhow, we were sitting there with a bar napkin, and uh, we drew a few circles, and we thought that, uh, you know, the money of this country is going to come down to peanut money. And uh, we thought the, the, word, the, the words peanut money, you know. That struck a, a chord to us that um, perhaps we could have uh, fun with this and and uh, not making any money, but to see if we could put together a series of coins, a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a half dollar, and a silver dollar, uh, all with the theme of peanut money on one side of the coin. And by the way, I've got this entire collection here in the radio studio and if anybody doubts it i'll take a picture and have dorothy put it on a website but at any rate we had these coins uh on one side was a peanut beautiful rendering by the artist that did it for us a peanut and on the other side we had themes that jimmy carter could relate to the state of georgia being one uh jimmy carter's smiling mouth you remember they made fun of his teeth and his smile And so we had that on the penny, I think it was. And we identified Plains, Georgia, as uh, the the, the southern capital of the U.S. And and I forgot, we had uh, some the White House on one, of course. And uh, we had this entire series of coins minted. Now, I looked around for a mint, and I found one out in Los Angeles where I was flying. By that time, I was flying captain on the 727. And so I flew out on a trip one time and, and had a little layover and went out to visit Liberty um, uh, Mint, the Liberty Mint, and uh, showed him some uh, renderings that we had an artist draw for us and asked if uh, they could mint this coin, how much. Well, the, they could mint it, and they showed me some of their uh, coins that they had done. 
and quoted me a price. And I said, you know, we can afford this, my brother and I and another fellow that was in a real estate business with me. And the three of us went together and we bought all these coins. We still have these coins and I'm tempted to get them back out on the market. But uh, (laughs) at any rate, here I come lugging these when they told me that they were ready. They were in boxes. And I hadn't realized that these coins, when you put them in a box, hundreds of them, actually thousands, they were heavy. These were minted <laughs> of bronze, and uh, we all, you know, it was the color of a, of a copper, of a penny. And uh, so here I took a, a little wheelie and lugged them on board the aircraft, lugged them up and, and put them in the cockpit and brought them home. Well, make a long story short. We started to market this peanut money. We found a, 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 a put it in a coin magazine, and the president of the American Numismatic, I can't pronounce that word, but I think that's correct, Numismatic uh, Society of America, caught uh, that ad and called me personally and wanted to know if he could do a story on it. And so he did. And he ran it in 50 syndicated newspapers around the U.S. New York Times, Chicago Tribune, the L.A. uh, newspaper, all these big newspapers. And it was free advertising. Well, we got a lot of orders as a result of that. And uh, so it was really fun. And and (laughs) we sent every member of the United States Congress a set of peanut money. And we sent the <laughs> museum in Plains, Georgia. So if you ever visit Plains, Georgia, look up Peanut Money and see that. But it was a hobby. Yeah. It it really didn't make us that much money. As a matter of fact, I still have all these coins. My wife has been mad at me every time we move and change houses. Here's this big <laughs> box of coins. So if anybody wants any Peanut Money, let me know. <laughs> and I'll certainly turn it over to you. Now, see if you can top that. I got another one, but I want to let some others take the floor right now. Oh, that's a riot. Well, this is Chuck, and I mentioned mine before. Uh, Actually, I read mine tonight. I uh, collected 45 records uh, when I was uh, a teenager, actually. And like we discussed before, my first record was uh, Elvis Presley, of course, because he was the big singer then he's obviously a big singer now um but i did the 45 things with some of them when i started out i had to buy the little inserts but later on like now i my i still have my record collection um that's probably got about 50 records in it uh, left and i have a record player that plays uh all the different types of records Plus, I, um, I have the, the little plastic inserts for my 45s, and uh, this record player, so to speak, looks like a radio. And, of course, it has slots for CDs and, uh, and uh, tapes. So um, I've kept mine over the years. I mean, Elvis doesn't sound uh, really great because he's a little scratchy right now, but that's what I did when I was young. I collected the the records that I was talking about. <laughs> do you think any of them are valuable now, Chuck? Uh, have you? I did uh, a items? while back. I sold 10 of them. Um, uh, some were Elvis and some were uh, uh, some of the other Bobby, what they call the Bobby Sox guys, you know, Splish Splash and some of these other ones and Mac the Knife and all that. And, um, no, they wouldn't sell that much. Uh, but some of the, the bigger ones now, if you go to some of the record stores today, the seven, I believe there's 78s, yeah, the big 78s, uh, they're worth some money. I mean, they, you would buy them for probably less than a, than a, a couple of dollars back in the old days, even, maybe even less than that. And I went, to, went there and was looking through some of the Elvis ones, and uh, these guys wanted like fifty bucks for one record. <laughs> I said, I can't, I can't afford that. <laughs> so uh, they're out there. I, in fact, I was at, um, I was at the, we on here in the villages. We have Barnes and Noble 
bookstore, but they also sell all kind of records and tapes and stuff. And they still sell 70, 78 records, brand new ones. Wow. And, but they're not cheap. They, they cost some money. Yeah. But didn't they come in uh, recently with um, a 78 player, but it was modernized so that you could do that? They had one. I, I, I've seen a 78 player that looks like a um, – uh, a computer, you know, one of those yeah. table computers that you can go out and buy, uh, laptops. And it just looks like a big laptop, and you open it up, and you can put the record inside of it. Obviously, it only holds one record, but I've seen them. Um, I didn't price it, but I'm sure they cost a few bucks. How about because, another you know, hobby? Uh, you need an old Victrola. Yeah. yeah. My grandmother had a wind-up one. Okay. Let's well, hear you some know, more. Um, vinyl is popular now. It's coming back because it, even at Target, they have new yeah. um, LP albums, you know, like one was for right. Amy Winehouse. They're yeah. new, and they're now on sale at, um, at um, Target. So they're wow. back. I'll go by and look at them. Uh, Carrie, since I heard your voice and I heard that you collect frogs, can you tell us about that? (laughs) (laughs) That was was just a story about a frog. I had had no choice. I had to save that frog because Jim was going to dispatch him. And so, but, um, and I have been known to pull over and direct traffic around turtles before they're crossing the street. And um, I think I would like to have a um, my own uh, rescue uh, for probably dogs and probably um, pit bull mixed dogs that uh, need a home, that need a good home. Yeah. Uh-oh, Jim, watch out. <laughs> yes, I know. I've been, been got an eye on this dog. <laughs> About a mile away, and but we got a new cat, a kitten, and I told her, you know, you want the kitten, get the kitten, and she did, and we did, and now the cat runs the work. She thinks she owns the whole damn house, and I said, okay, I get to pick the dog. Well, no, she's found this pit bull over there next to her rental house. That this scrawny dog is looks at her with sad eyes, and now she thinks she's got to go over there and get this dog to tied up to the street. The guy that owns it wants her to take it. And I keep saying, no, it's my turn. I picked the dog. I picked the dog. So far, I hadn't picked one. But, uh, I mean, that dog, God almighty, it's going to take a million dollars in doctor bills to get that dog straightened out. <laughs> so she's already named like the dog. Getting out of me. She's, she's so named sweet. the dog. Tell, Kayla, tell them what the dog's name is. Diva. Yeah, Eva. Diva. <laughs> Eva. Eva. You know, Carrie oh. got a, a new. We got her a, a, another uh, Lexus, and she named it. And that car has gone through five names. And the latest one, Carrie, what's the latest name of your car in like four months? Dora. Every, every every week. Dora. What's the name of it? What's Dora. the name? Laura. Dora. 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 Yeah. Uh, it's like Mount Dora. me crazy around here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Lexi might have been a good one. Yeah. I had a story about <laughs> on the internet the other day. Nelly Bell. Yeah. Mike, what, what you? What kind of hobby you got, Mike? Oh, jeez. I mean, I, I, I like everybody else. I, I started out when uh, I was a kid with my dad, being as he was a TWA and an Eastern pilot, and uh, he was an avid model airplane builder and a perfectionist at it and he showed me how to do all that stuff and that was my main interest when I was a kid building all of these uh these models and I used to build the uh the U controls and I used to do the mm-hmm. you know on the sixty foot yeah. wires and the yeah, combat right. and free flights and gliders and rubber powered models and all of that and I tried to uh, uh, keep up with his uh, quality control. I knew when he got off a trip, and if, and if I was building a model in the basement, 
he got off a trip and got his finger into the scotch. Uh, after I'd gone to sleep, he'd probably wake me up and tell me that the dihedral was a half a degree off on something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was building models for a long time, and I used to build them in my married days when I had a, a workshop. Uh, I was building uh, very few uh, balsa models. They switched over to the uh, World War One, World War Two, one seventy second, one forty eight scale uh, uh, model airplanes, and I had a whole collection of those. And I, so I used to build them myself. And, and uh, I would collect the uh, the Cold War bombers and all that stuff. And I, I, I and later I started collecting. Uh, uh, well, in between the models, of course, I got involved uh, when I reached about 15 years old. Once I realized that there was uh, there was there was women around other than guys, uh, I started to drag race uh, cars, the 55 and 57 Chevys and all of that, and chase the blondes around and. And of course, the Air Force came after that, and of course, I continued with the uh, with the model airplanes uh, after I was married and had my uh, my shop in the basement. I was still building some old uh, U-controls and all that stuff, and then I picked up later on uh, buying up all the old uh, collecting kits from when I was a kid on eBay and and whatnot, and all the old engines that my dad. And I, I still have all of them. I never got rid of any wow. of them. The old ignition engines and the glow plug engines and all that stuff and Dyna jets and the old we used to start it with a bicycle pump, this old pulse jet. I don't know if you guys yeah. remember that some of you, yeah. And then uh I just uh I have about four hundred uh plus model airplanes in my uh in my home wow. here and I, I have every just about every model die-cast model that was put out for Eastern Airlines that was ever made. I buy them all. So I have them all here. Uh, not necessarily all on display, but uh, a lot of I don't have the room anymore. They're in boxes piled in in, in stacks. So uh, I, I have them all. And then, uh, of course, I have my own. Uh, my other hobbies, of course, I, use, uh, I did aircraft uh, sheet metal work when I was uh, in the Air Force and at Eastern Airlines, too, for a while. And uh, I do that as a hobby with the old guys out at the uh, the airport where I hang out with the all the old biplanes and all uh, all the real airplanes. Uh, and they always every time I turn around, there's somebody standing in my hangar with a hole in the cowling or a hole in the fairing or something that's cracked or whatever. Is it? Can you fix this? Okay, get the tools out and I'll fix it. But then I got my dad had a. Uh, uh, a 1932 Waco biplane, which they only made oh. uh, uh, 18 of the model that he had, which was a uh, UBF2, and I always wanted one. So uh, about five years ago, I found one for sale, and I bought my own, and I got it out at the airport there. They made 18 of them, and wow. uh, yeah, other than collecting uh Flying small airplanes around and collecting stuff. I also collected, uh, you know, lots and lots of all the Eastern Airlines memorabilia. I've been collecting that since my dad worked for Eastern, and I'm still doing it. I probably have more Eastern Airlines memorabilia than anybody does. And I also all the magazines, Era, Reaper, Flight Talk, Falcon, Great Silver Fleet. I have all of those magazines. Get all this room. <laughs> well, believe you me, I don't have any room here. I have I have aisleways that I walk through here. I got a fourteen hundred square foot house, and it's full. <laughs> but basically, I don't want to take up too much time. But uh, that kind of well, capulates what I uh, what I what I do. And also got a collection of uh, old Mark Seven Lincolns. I I kind of like those things when they came out. Uh, and I have uh, one in the garage that has fifteen thousand miles on it. It's a ninety two. Oh. Another one in the garage that's a black one that's got 34,000 miles on it. And I've had an 89, a 90, a 91, and two other 92s. <laughs> See, when you're single, that, that's called a hobby. When you're married, it's called junk. Well, that's why I, I just, that's why last, that's why, that's why Good last month I, I celebrated 40, 42 years of being divorced. <laughs> <laughs> Any any women that come into this house, they they they, uh, they their jaws drop right away because if they you know over all my kitchen cabinets in the kitchen you know most if you have room between the cabinets and the ceiling, 
Everybody has plants and ivy and all these decorative <laughs> things up there. I have model airplanes. <laughs> the only place well, I don't have model airplanes is in the bathrooms. <laughs> well, Mike, you're winning this so far. Okay, yeah, you got it. He's winning it hands down. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's phone? Uh-oh. I think it is. I think it's somebody's phone. Not sure whose it is, but. That was the, uh, went at the overtime button. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Colleen, do you have a, a hobby, or did you have a hobby when you were young? Uh, well, excuse me, I'm sorry. When you were a child? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I not not that I would would have called a hobby. Although, well, you mentioned somebody mentioned uh, um, the uh, racing '57 Chevy, <laughs> and my mother oh, had a '57 Chevy. Yeah, and we would uh, on Sundays. My mom and dad would go out, and my my brother had a uh, a little Mustang, and. Um, He'd uh, switch cars. I was allowed to use the Chevy. He'd switch cars with me all the time, and he'd want to take the Chevy. And then one Sunday, I went with him. He was doing the powder puff derbies up in the Poconos. So we'd uh, get the car home and have to hurry up and scrub the soap off the windows before my parents got back home again. And one week, my mom asked what all the soap writing on the car was. So one Sunday, we took her, and she loved it. She <laughs> she oh, raced wow. the car. Yeah, but uh, I didn't really have any hobbies then. I think I started my started my hobbies. Like I said, everything turned into non-paying jobs. <laughs> when, when I when I was raising my kids, that's when I, you know, looked for a part-time job and ended up with the radio job. But uh, you know, I paid my babysitter more than I got paid. So I guess that was a hobby. <laughs> but. Um, during in, in 91, I got hired with United. Um, my kids were 14 and 20 and said, you know, go for it. We can take care of ourselves. So I went back to flying. And during, like, the next 10 years, I got into scuba diving, took flying lessons. I was on the ski team. We went rafting. Um, that kind of ended when I left United. And then from 2003 until the present time, I guess my hobby is community theater. Um, I got very involved with the theater in in uh, Freehold, New Jersey, which the radio job actually led me into that. Everything leads one thing leads into another. Right. The, the the radio job led me into that, and uh, I just tried out for a part and was so fascinated by it because I had never been to a community theater. I was 15 minutes from the theater, and I ended up doing everything, you know, acting and directing and producing and uh, stage managing. And I now have a garage full of costumes and props that I stored for a year and moved down here to Florida, and now I can't find a theater to get involved in. But I have a huge collection of vintage costumes, and all the things are in bins for particular shows. Um, You know, Got all these things here, and as for collections, I have a collection of Santas. Didn't realize it until I was about 75 Santas, putting them out at Christmas, that I have a collection. <laughs> so oh, oh. Now, I've, now I've got like over 100. But Wow. Um, you I probably have I, a I flight attendant uniform collection, too, and a, a pilot uniform. Yes, Your husband's a pilot with Eastern, wasn't he? Yes, 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 he was. And I didn't think of that. But, yes, I do have my costumes, and we actually – we actually did a couple of, uh, I guess the last show uh, that I did in Jersey before moving down here, um, <laughs> the ticket people, uh, a husband and wife, they wore my uniform and, and Andy's uniform to collect the tickets, and we made it into a departure, um, oh, nice. uh, the whole theater into that. And so it was kind of like a it, – it was neat. I had every piece of Eastern – memorabilia that I have on a wall unit in the lobby. Um, also pictures of different airlines and one that I have from Eastern um, with Disney, a Disney poster from the 50s, 60s. Uh-huh. Uh, we decorated the whole theater with all airlines. 
Don't ask me what the play was. My mind just went blank. <laughs> interesting. Very good. But, Very interesting. Well, you know, we uh, know somebody that collects stuff like that. He's just going to have to find some more room over the top of them <laughs> cabinets. <laughs> when he this talking, is correct. When he, was talking, when he was talking about planes in his kitchen, I, in Colt's Nest, my husband had a friend. He he would go out to the fields with the, the flying the small planes, but he had a friend that was building a plane uh, that led to his divorce because he built the thing in his <laughs> kitchen. Eventually, divorced, knocked out the wall for the wings of the plane. He built it inside his house. Oh, what a poor sport she not, was. Not uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly. doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jim Holder, what do you got for us? Well, I didn't realize it or not, but apparently I had a hobby also because I flew these U-controls and built those airplanes that uh, Mike was talking about. And uh, actually, we I don't think we did it to collect them because uh, we did it. We put string, a streamer on the back of it, and we get out there yeah, with combat. guys in a yeah. circle and have combat. <laughs> and right. needless to say, our supply of airplanes didn't last very long because we tore up more airplanes crashing into each other trying to cut those props. And uh <laughs> but I had uh, five or six of those and Fox thirty five. You remember those engines? Mike? Oh yeah, uh, sure. Prop, I've got one. Yeah. I got a whole box full of them. <laughs> yeah, boy, they were great. You had to you had to pop them, you know, to get them running. They call and them I got red hot redheads. On my head says, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. He said, yeah. let me see your index finger. <laughs> yeah, I got. Scar, I'm looking at a scar right now that I got from the Fox 35 trying to crank it, and I was in pilot training at Craig Air Force Base, still flying those things with a couple other guys that brought theirs, and uh, and we tore them up too. Yeah, <laughs> well, know? the trick with combat was to get up there, and you got if you got mostly with two guys in a circle, you'd be yeah. doing all these maneuvers around, in and around everybody. You had to know. You had to watch where you where you started to wind your wires together. You had to you had to go yeah. back the other way and get them unwound. Otherwise, you'd end up with, with two wrecks. <laughs> yes, ah. that's right. That happened a lot. You spend two weeks building it and twenty seconds tearing it up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> but the engines, you could always put another prop on it and they crank right up again. Way we go. Yeah, if it if it if you didn't bust it up on the cement and it busted in half. <laughs> yeah, we we did it on grass most of the places we did grass or dirt or something like that. I don't know. Over here at the villages, we have two aeroports for hobbyists that have the airplanes. One of them is electric only, and then the other one is where you you have gas powered. And now they have little jet engines. They're they're pretty fascinating, actually. Uh, I never got into that myself, but if you watch them, it, they're very unique. They're they're very interesting. Yeah, I mean they look I remember, just like I remember, that engine. I remember seeing a B fifty two take off, you know, and it was big, maybe ten feet or something like that, and the thing was flying and making touch and goes and going around, and they were talking about how all this was one of their big meets, and they were filming all this and. The, took off. I mean, it would make low-speed pass, and it sounded like a jet coming by, too, because it had all those inches. And he pulled up yeah, into a downwind. Yeah, he pulled up into a downwind right out to the sands and everything, and all of a sudden, he just turned over and flew straight down into the ground towards oh, the bits. And I've never oh, that guy sick. That was costly. I, I never did hear what happened to it, why I did it, huh? That was pretty costly. They had one out here was as big as a, a Cessna 150. Wow. And that was that was a hobby plane. Mm-hmm. They had a remote control. Yeah. This thing was big. Yeah. And they had a little guy yeah. they had a little guy in the cockpit with his helmet his leather helmet on and everything. Wow. But it was wow. a, it was a big R C airplane. Now Don, you made some airplanes too, didn't you? Don Gagman? Yeah, I made a few of them. Um most of the ones I, I used to build a, a lot of plastic models, um, but uh, I really I'm kind of into the wood wood end of it. I I like the uh, balsa balsa models. I, I bought one as you know, um, 
It was the uh, Wright Brothers model that I built. Yeah. Of the first yeah. airplane. Uh, I got that from a kit, and then I, you know, I got into it a little bit. Uh, later on, I started cutting out the uh, formulas, you know, for the for the fuselage and the, and the wings and so forth out of balsa wood, and I made finally wound up making a uh, a DC-3. And I had some decals and stuff that I copied, and uh, had a nice model of a DC-3. And then I, uh, my last model was uh, was uh, the Connie. Yeah, that was. Mm. Uh, and yeah. Dorothy's got all these pictures on the website. I think. <laughs> well, um, I, I used to think that building building those things was was more fun than actually flying them because I used to love the smell of that, the balsa wood and the uh, and yeah. the glue. And of course, little did we know we were getting hired in a kite with the glue. And when I was painting those things, every coat it was getting better and better looking, and I never knew why. Oh, now I know why they like building them. Oh, glue sniffers. He had them flying in the garage too. (laughs) Well, well, I built my first airplane during World War II, or right at the end of World War II, and it was a P forty-seven. It was a kit. And I was living in the country, no TV, no pictures, no nothing with my grandparents. And I had a aunt who was living like an older sister, and she treated me like I was a, a, well, you know how older sisters beat you up and all that kind of stuff. But she did that to me. But she helped me build that airplane, and she told me that I was making two left wings. And I told her I certainly was not. I knew what I was doing. And when I put that thing all together, used all the parts, I had two left wings. The one on one side was facing forward. <laughs> so I, my first failure was pretty pretty bad. I'll tell you, my first try, I didn't do too good. And of course, she kept it and told everybody how stupid I was. And we show it to everybody in the family to prove it. I never heard that story. Well, it's true. That's like Pat. You know, ain't Pat. That's her. Yeah, she used to beat me regular. Uh, yeah, that's like why he didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, was a, she was a kid till I moved in, the younger kid, and it sort of took away her being the youngest one. And, but she was good. So we, we played. We did a lot of things together. Yeah, I'm About a, two months ago, what? I got a drone, and I'm still trying to figure out how to fly it. Oh, Does it have an ejection seat in it? No, but I'm telling you, it really hits the ground hard. Well, did I tell you the story about uh, Carrie's younger son, Jeff, giving me a drone for Christmas about three years ago? He's real good at giving gifts. It really takes some thinking, and, you know, I appreciate it. But he gave me this drone, and I tried to fly it in my hangar, and it was terrible. It was terrible. And this guy behind us over in another hangar, he's a Delta mechanic, and he puts on air shows at night with his drones out there flying around, you know. And this is a grass grip, you know. You can do most anything at night you want to. And uh, he came over, and I showed him this drone, and he said, well, you know, I could do it. So he took it out and put it out there, and he's going to fly this thing around. And he got it upside down about 30 feet, and it came straight down, and that was the end of my drone. <laughs> so I told his name was Larry. Matter of fact, I mentioned him in the magazine. Uh, the latest one just came out. He gave me the report on it. Delta, but he's a pilot. And uh, I, I told him, I said, Larry, you may be a great mechanic for Delta, but I don't think you much of a drone pilot. <laughs> but it's really hard to say that to him when we watch his air shows at night with all the lights on him. But he blamed it on something wrong with it, putting it together or something, I think. I don't know. They had on, on TV here a while back, they got drone races. You ever seen them? No. Yeah, I've seen them. These kids about six or seven years old, they they really know how to fly the drones. They do. Six or seven? Wow. What's that? You say six or they're seven young. years old? Yeah. Yeah. They have those They're, they're very young. Those. Those, I mean, the uh, older ones are more flying them, but the young ones. Those virtual yeah. goggles they wear, and it it shows the actual, and they can actually do a a race in the dark. 
in, yes. in some place, and they can see what the drone is doing. It's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was totally amazed by what they can do with those things. Yeah. And, yeah. and my drone is it just cuts along. Their drone was really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I never got uh, Dorothy, involved with them. Probably now, Dorothy, won't. Yeah, I'm sure you've got a hobby or two. Oh, yes, I had my jewelry hobby that I made a lot of jewelry, and I sold it for quite a while, but I loved to buy jewelry that was very unique and uh, had crystals and real gold and real silver. Of course, that gets to be a little expensive, so it was very difficult uh, at the end trying to sell. Once you sell the, the almost the entire group, then you trying to sell the other, but, you know, uh, people of uh, ages after 70 or so, they stopped dressing a lot, and so it wasn't getting to be, it was getting to be a little bit of a job trying to sell the rest of them, so I kind of gave that up, but I've been doing uh, cookbooks, uh, writing for the last several years, and I've written two books already on the cooking, and I love cooking. I do a lot during the week. Uh, Don and I don't go out a lot to dinners occasionally, but not a lot because most of the time I do a lot of uh, recipe cooking, and uh, then I'll write them all down. And, of course, years ago I used to write on my – I used to type up this small little card on the old typewriters that we used to have. So pretty soon, of course, when the word processes came out, I got – and I'd make the the bigger cards, and pretty soon I got a piece of paper. And of course, every piece of paper, you know, you cross something out and you add something special to it to make it really different and real tasty. So by the time I got to do my cookbooks, it was really like a little bit of a job. The first one was like a nightmare trying to piece all my. I had them upside down. I had them on the side. I had them underneath. You flip the card over, and there was something else there. But I finally got the cookbook done. The problem is before you can sell a cookbook, you've got to make sure that every recipe has exactly what it should have in it and the directions are easy to follow. So then I cooked every single thing that was in my book. And, of course, I had my friends and Dawn be my taste testers. And yeah, that's by, a bitch, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And by that time, of course, everybody's asking me for my recipes. And so pretty soon it's like, i got to get this book out. I've given so many recipes out, and everybody keeps asking me for them. So that's when I started to really get on the move and, and sell them. And um, I sold the uh, first one very quickly. The uh, second one took me uh, a little bit longer to write because Donna and I decided to uh, go to Italy and I wanted to do, in each of my books, by the way, um, I have, like, sayings of what my father and mother would do as they would cook different recipes. And um, and my brothers and sisters and how we used to fight over things. And one brother would run all the way up to the other sister every single week to try to get one of her recipes to eat. And it was that sort of thing. So... I was able to copyright all of my book uh, because I had so many different stories that told something and the recipes that my dad had that some of them were secrets. So the first one I did that way, and the second one, as I said, after we went to Italy, uh, poor Don, he was taking all the pictures in Italy, and uh, once he did that, uh, most of those pictures I have incorporated into a lot of what the Italians did down there and how they did their recipes compared to my recipes. So the book is very interesting. Both books are very interesting. Got a and copy was, of it, and it is a beautiful book, Dorothy. Beautiful book. Yeah. The, Wish. The, the food is really very, very good. I mean, right now I consider my sauce to be one of the best. I still haven't found any... Uh, recipe out there or restaurant so far that that beats my taste of my Italian gravy. And even in uh, Italy, I really didn't care for Rome. And Naples was good. And Viesti, where my dad lived, it was much better. So um, 
through all my little uh, testings and uh, all my people. I, I mean, I used to have a group for 35 people here, and I cooked it all. And so everybody really loved it, as I said. So I know that the recipes are really good. So you got to put, put that up for sale on the website. I wish you would. <laughs> it's yeah, tough that would be. Why not? <laughs> good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll well, tell you, folks. She knows how to cook. <laughs> You're close enough by to taste that food, right? From a guy he, from experience. Yeah, yes, Don loses his taste. Right. Well, I invited. I was inviting Chuck to come over tomorrow night. I want to make chicken marsala for him. So we'll see. Well, one of these days, of- Peggy and I are going to show up and taste some of that delicious cooking. Come on down. I would love it. I would love it. Sure it would. So, uh, great, great uh, discussion of hobbies, and there's so many of them. I'm uh, just thinking about cameras. I've collected cameras, and I've collected typewriters, and I've collected. Uh, my brother was a collector of fountain pens, and also, as a matter of fact, my neighbor's got 500 uh, fountain pens, not ballpoints, oh. but fountain pens, and he collects those. So there's all sorts of things out there that people do and some of them uh, I guess uh, can make money and others are just uh, that they're hobbies they're just hobbies they entertain take up right. the pouring hours well and, all uh, the stuff that we collect Neil it's like my sons ask me he says what are you going to do with all this what are you stuff do I look him right in the eye and he says that's your problem <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it I've got all these books in my library here that uh Admiral Engel, he used to have done some stories that, of course, we honored him last year uh, in our Hall of Fame, and he gave me all sorts of aviation books, and I've got a wall I'm looking at now covered with most of his books, and I just think, what happens, you know, when you you kick the bucket, uh, who's going to take this stuff? That's right. We'll be in line. <laughs> well, that's, I tell you, it was fun talking about that tonight, and I didn't know whether this would uh, be entertaining to listeners from around the world, which uh, probably they're, uh, I can imagine a listener in Somalia. What in the world are they thinking about when they go? <laughs> These Make Americans homemade hand grenades. They're crazy. <laughs> they got a collection right. of homemade hand grenades. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. You know, our guest tonight for tonight's show, uh, we've got a few more things to talk about. Is Of course, Dorothy and Don Gagnon, Chuck Albright, and uh, Jim Holder, Mike Scott, uh, and uh, Colleen DeFelice uh, was with us tonight. So thanks so much. Did I leave anybody out? And Carrie, Carrie, Holder. Carrie Holder. Carrie, thanks so much. Turtle lady. Uh, the turtle lady. There you go. And uh, a, that down. Uh, Dorothy, tell us what we've got coming up here. Uh, yes, uh, we have some very interesting things that have come up. Uh, we had a new uh, member, Sandra Roberts. She's 77 years old from New York City. And she's a flight attendant, and she was uh, was a flight attendant for 25 years, and greatest job she ever held. And she says, I still miss it, don't you all? Uh, we have a couple of uh, member testimonials as well. Uh, some wrote, Dorothy, just wanted to say thanks to you and Captain Neal for all the work you do in memory of Easton. It's nice to hear the stories about the days gone by when it was his family, sincerely, was A.R. Daniels. He's the gentleman who donated last week to uh, our program. Uh, we also had another one uh, today from Dorothy. It says, Dorothy and Neil, and that was very nice to hear from both of you. I am pleased to support the EAL radio show. You and all the team created excellent shows. Tonight I will not be able to listen in, but we'll pick it up from the archives at a later date. Have a great show, Renee. Uh, P.S. He's looking forward to the Eastern B737. 
Today we had a couple of donations that came in, one of which was from Renee. Um, so Neil is getting ready to uh, check into the postage and so forth on the one to Canada to um, Ontario, Canada. And the other one that we got also uh, was a donation for forty dollars, um, and that too was sent in by Regina McKinney. So we had a couple of nice uh, contributions. And we have another gentleman who sent in and saying, please save me one of the, the models uh, of the Eastern Plain. Um, I, I, I'll have to donate in a couple of weeks when I get paid. So that was nice to hear that he's going to wait until he gets paid to give us a little bit of a donation. But we do want to thank all of those people for uh, becoming one of our contributors and sponsors uh, as you know, all of the money that we get, we put back into the radio show, our two websites, and all the costs that it takes to produce this uh, radio show. It's not cheap by any means, and we are thankful, too, for our sponsor, uh, uh, REPA. Without them, of course, uh, this show could not go on. So all of you, we really do appreciate everything that you have done to keep the legacy of Eastern Airline going. Um, we, too, want to mention that uh, REPA has their uh, reunion coming up September 4th to the 6th, a Wednesday through Friday, uh, at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Kennesaw, Georgia. And more information on that is at the REPA website at repaonline.com reunion slash reunion. Uh, Jim Holder, too, you still have some of those 2019 Repartee magazines you're looking to yes, give away? Yes, yes, yes. I'm sitting there looking at stacks of magazines. I see <laughs> four 2017s. I see three 2018s. And I see, Lord knows, do I see a lot of the 2019s, about 30 or so. So if anyone okay. wants to help me out, Roadhog37 at Comcast.net, I know uh, Chuck just called or sent me an email, and I mailed him one. I guess, Hope, Chuck, you got it already yet? Not yet, but thank you very much. I'm looking forward it's to it. It's on the way. It's on the way. And, but like I say, I got four 2017s, three 2018s, and about 30 2019s. And I can send those out to folks uh, first-class mailing. Okay, and we uh, also want to remind people that George Wilson, one of our members, wanted to find out if there was any pilot information uh, for his grandfather uh, that flew in the 1950s, John Robert Wilson. He'd like to learn more about them, so please let us know uh, at host at EALradioshow.com. I want to give you, two a couple of more episodes coming up. Um, next week we have another great show with Eastern History Set to Music. That ought to be a beauty. We just love hearing that. And then following which is Games Our Family Played. So please stay tuned every single Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we're looking forward to having you join us. We always have a lot of fun, and we hope you enjoy tonight's show. Back to you, Neil. You know, Dorothy, that uh, 737 model is a beautiful model. It's one of the, uh, uh, I think, uh, best-looking models. It's a, not a plastic model. It's a metal, I think. It's heavy. Yeah, they're die-cast, Neil. And yeah, die-cast. They usually sell for close to 100 bucks. Yeah, that thing is white and blue. It's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Right. I meant to tell everyone. by Gemini. That's right, Gemini. What we're doing. Right, and what we're doing is anyone who contributes $40 or more, we're sending not only Neil's book, Wings of Many, but we're included the uh, model 737. And this was donated to us by an anonymous donor who wanted to give us something and hope that we could put it to good use, and we certainly are doing that. We certainly want uh, people to have that, and you can get that along with a donation to our EAL radio show for the uh, legacy that we have in keeping our program going. And, Dorothy, That's I looked uh, at the box, and it looks like there's uh, about 12 or 15 left in that box that they sent us. It was a large box. And right. the box and that both... the airplane comes in is just, it's it's kind of a, 
uh, keeper too. It's uh, beautiful. Right, it and is. Jim and I put out I a beautiful product. Yeah. Very right. pretty. It, the box is really nice to keep it. It's uh, actually we have ours displayed on uh, one of our guest room crescendos uh, uh, yeah. there. Yeah. Um, really yeah. looks beautiful. Uh, nice, yeah. nice job yeah. they did on it, by the way. So, too bad they didn't send us more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Absolutely. you know, can't be greedy. We're thankful for what we got, and it was free. So that's the nicest yeah. thing about it. Okay, let's get her on the ground. You're clear to land. Thank you. 